always believe that us as black people, man, have an intuition ability mm-hmm. to where we know and feel, you know, in our gut when, when we're being mistreated or being when race is being an issue. You know, we got this alert inside of us that lets us know. So mm-hmm. I feel good about that. Okay. I mean, do you, do you think there's a magic formula as far as unity is concerned? Because like the reason why I do this show is really to try to connect all of us in a way where it's not like we're trying to ostracize anyone that's not black or brown. You, you understand what I'm saying? Right. But it's right. more to just pull us together and be more conscious. You are now tuned in to a Power Podcast Network production. Yo, ladies and gentlemen, welcome, welcome, welcome to the KG Salon Bridging the Gap. It's good to see everybody or hear from everybody. This week, we got one of my own family members, my cousin, Tim Tillis. He's out in, um, in Charlottesville, yeah, home of the Tiki Torches. Um, I'm going to reach out to him in a minute. Um, he's going to do an introduction of himself, explain everything. And you know what the show is all about. It's about the Pan-African movement. So we're going to get into that. And then he's going to tell you a little bit about himself and what he does for a living. All right? So let me give him a call real quick. Hold tight. Hello? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, Tim Chillers, welcome to the show, brother. Yo, thanks for having me, my man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. It's family affair right here. I'm glad to have you, too. No doubt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to get right to it, man. Um, Yeah, you you know what's crazy? I remember when we was growing up, you was like the biggest public enemy fan, right? Yeah, you. Ah, you. Yeah. You had the African flag, or you know, around your neck, everything. Yep, yep. I had the, the African medallion. I had the big patches. Yeah. Painted t-shirts, the whole nine yards. Indeed, indeed, indeed. So now we at this state. Um, as time progresses, you know, we have a different mind state of how to think, and the environment dictates a lot of things as well. Um. So this is a Pan-African movement show. I want to um, ask you a question. So after all of that, you traveled all around the world. As a black man, how do you feel that people treat you? Like, let's say, for instance, like you were in Germany. How do you think you were treated being a black man? I mean, it's like a hard question to answer now because back when we was in Germany, I was a lot younger, so I really didn't pay attention to my environment around me, you know, especially being in the military. So all I wanted to do was party and drink and hit the club scene. So I I didn't take the time out to think, really, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and notice if I was treated any differently or if I, you know, Uh if I came off differently. I, I know, though, from talking to, you know, different family members and people that were in Germany and Europe back in the the 60s and 50s and 40s they always believed that black people had tails you know right so sometimes they want to come and look and check because they honestly believe that yeah that's crazy that's crazy and you know what when i when i went to korea i remember people like the koreans locals saying that um they believed that black men grew a tail after midnight and i used to yeah. tell i used to tell the females well you got to come to my room after midnight so you can see the tail that i grew you know what I'm saying? So, so that's that's crazy that people actually believe that, that, that something like that was happening with the black man. Okay, and, and, and as you traveled all around and came back stateside, what 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 was the treatment like? 
pretty cool once I got back to the States. Um, I think the uh, the most eye-opening experience for me definitely was traveling to the Middle East. Mm. So I got a real chance to see different cultures, man, and, and how, you know, for us here in America, it's all about, you know, skin color and, mm. and black and white. And over there in the Middle East, you know, it's more about religion. Right. you know, versus skin color. So you got all different shades of, of skin color getting treated equally, mm-hmm. but differently based on religion. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely an experience, man, when you travel overseas. Yeah. So so, so you, you you probably say um, as far as racism, it's more prevalent being in America than when you leave these borders, right? Oh, definitely. Definitely. We, we definitely pulled back the fabric on racism um within the last couple of years mm-hmm. um worse than i think that it's it's been it's always been but i think due to the certain you know situation that we're in now with the type of leadership we got man it's it's you got a real opportunity to see it mm-hmm. you know and it's not hidden behind closed doors or in the closet right right and and i know we we just about two days away from the primary elections the presidential elections um you you have any thoughts on that because i try not to talk about politics too much with people and religion because people get really wrapped up in those type of things but you and i we're family so you already know um you 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 have anything to say about this upcoming um like they said the one of the the biggest events in our lifetime is getting ready to take place what's what's your thought yeah i think so too man i mean you know when the president first got elected it was based on a lot of rhetoric that he said. But now if he gets real elected, it's gonna be based on what he's done. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, if if he's reelected it speaks volume for where we're at in right. the United States as far as race, you know, and mm-hmm. politics. So I mean it's 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 gonna be a, a, a terrible thing, man. Not not just the fact that he got reelected mm-hmm. as president, but what does that say about the people that voted for him man, and how right. they really feel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, like I wish everything wasn't about color, honestly. So since I didn't make the rules, you know, I was born in it. And it just bothers me so much that everything is about color. So we just have to do the best to try to police ourselves. Um, But what I I wanted to say, um, you didn't you know, you didn't like stay away from the color thing, like the color barrier. You know what I'm saying? Like you've always been a free spirit. You you marry who you want to marry. You are you um you just never had this this thing about you. It's like, oh, I'm not gonna talk to them or or be around them because they're a different yeah. color than me. And, and so much that you even married someone with, that was a different color. How how was how was that like publicly? Like when you're out, the, the, like you get like these stares and things like that. No, so with me, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with how you're brought up and how you're raised. And I was never raised to to put borders or or anything like that on on people or relationship. And I feel like I only got one shot at life. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I have to do and be with whoever makes me happy. If they're white, if they black, skinny, fat, it doesn't matter. But once I put borders on that, mm-hmm. then I start to restrict myself from from what's really out there for me. So, um, and, and two, you, you know, I've got 
German, European descent. Mm-hmm. So how does it look for me to be racist right. when like 39% European? You know what I'm saying? Right. So that that would be hypocritical of me too. But um, no, I really don't. I, I mean, I don't know if it's that I just don't care or I don't pay attention, but I've been living in the South most of my life mm-hmm. when I'm here in the United States. So anything below the Mason-Dixon line, man, you you know, is questionable as far as racism goes. Yeah. So I don't, I haven't really experienced anything really. See that, and that's a blessing, man. That's that's really a blessing. Like for myself, even back in New York or in Jersey, um, of course you got like a little bit of little bit of racist things here and there, and people always talked about all the experiences that they were having racially. You know what I'm saying? I mean. Of course, we had things in our neighborhood, you know, when we was young or even when we got older, they have stuff like the Yusef Hawkins case that they bring up, yeah. Be, you know, being, um, if you go to Bensonhurst or you go any of those places, Crown Heights, and then you had like trouble with some of the, the Jewish neighborhoods or the Italian neighborhoods and things like that. Um, but I didn't really get to experience like the real deep racial type thing until I went to Texas one, um, when I was in Texas. And I was in a place called Junction City, Texas, and that was like one of the the worst experiences that I've ever had in my lifetime. And it was just some racist cops and the way they were treating me. They were even taking me to jail. So um, it, it was just it was just crazy, man. So you know, like you stepping out and not just saying I'm not going to live my life by what society dictates as how it should be. You know what I'm saying? Once you once you do that, then you let somebody else make your rules. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I've experienced more racism growing up as a kid than I am married to a European. Mm-hmm. I mean, I grew up, I, you know, I used to live in North Carolina. It's the South. So, I mean, I used to live in an all-white neighborhood. We were the only black family in the neighborhood, and we had a community pool. Yeah. But every time I wanted to go get in the pool, I had to wash my hair, you know, because they said they didn't want the chemicals and shit in the pool. Wow. So, uh, you know, we had a community basketball court, and any time I wanted to bring my friends over, they would come and take the goals off and say they're doing maintenance. Who wow. the hell does maintenance on a basketball goal? Right. Um, you know, it, it, uh, they would call the police on us, you know, if my mom hung clothes on the, on the back of the fence and stuff like that. So, mm. I mean, I, I experienced racism, mm. but, you know, I mean, I've, I've been called nigger before, and, and, and remember the person who called me, and they're the police chief in, in the city. So, uh-huh. you know, it's not that I haven't experienced it. It's just that I got to a point where, you know, I don't let it affect me, and I don't really pay attention to it now right. that I'm older. So, um, yeah, but it's definitely affected me growing up, man. I, I won't lie about that. Right, right, right. Like, um, okay, not, like for the kids, since they have such yeah. diversity, you know, like, the, the older ones, they have their part Puerto Rican and black, German, everything. They have every every ethnic group in them, you know what I'm saying? But I, I, I look at um, like Jay and, and, and um, Christian, and I look at them like, you know, when they get older, like how society's gonna, you know, I mean, society's always has an opinion, which it don't matter. But I'm just saying like, how do you think society's going to look at them? Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so that's my job as the parent to prepare them for that. Mm-hmm. So I always make sure that they're aware of what's going on and, and shortcomings and how they can get treated. And, you know, these are red flags 
that you need to look out for growing up. Yeah. And I think that starts now, you know, when they're, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old, mm -hmm. they need to understand these things because I'm not always going to be around to provide that guidance. So, you know, as a parent, I think that's our job to get our kids ready for that. Because right. it's not going to change. I mean, here it is 2020, man, and we're still dealing with the things we were dealing with in 1960. Right. It's just that it's at a more complicated level and technology is taking over so you know it's got more sophisticated but um i always believe that us as black people man have an intuition ability mm -hmm. to where we know and feel you know in our gut when when we're being mistreated or being when race is being an issue you know we got this alert inside of us that lets us know so mm -hmm. i feel good about that Okay, I mean, do you, do you think there's a magic formula as far as unity is concerned? Because, like, the reason why I do this show is really to try to connect all of us in a way where it's not like we're trying to ostracize anyone that's not black or brown. You, you understand what I'm saying? Right. But it's right. more to just pull us together and be more conscious of what's going on and how we can be there for each other. And, right. and worldwide, because worldwide we all experience the same thing. But for some reason, we find a way to make the other person different than, than we are. When we are the same people. And I'm, I'm talking about the, the black and brown people. Um, of course, we're not really that far different from the white people. Like I always say, um, what I know scientifically that we all come from each other. You know what I'm saying? Oh, they come from us and, you know, we're not going to get into the history today. But they come from us. So there's no way that I'm going to hate somebody else that comes from me. You, you get what I'm saying? But if there was like a magic formula, like what could we do to try to bring each other a little bit closer, be more brotherly or sisterly? Yeah, I agree, man. I mean, you know, I definitely think the formula is out there. Um, it's just, it's going to take more than just me, you, or this podcast, man, to put it together, right. you know, on, on a national level. I won't say globally because, you know, other countries don't necessarily have the same problems that we have here in America. Uh -huh. yeah. So on a national level, we're going to have to, everybody's going to have to get some common sense, man, and some common ground mm -hmm. and understand that, you know, we're in this together. So we're going to have to live together, you know? Right, right, right. Okay. So I, I don't want to make this all about the race issues and all of that. Um, right. I want you to tell the audience, like, what, what do you do? Like, what, what is your dream? What are your aspirations? And what do you work through every day? So I, you know, as, as we both know, I, I currently work for the for the government. So I've been serving the military ever since the days me and you've been back in the military. Mm -hmm. So um, that's my passion, man. I feel like you know that that was, that was something that was gifted to me to give back, and, and it makes me feel good when I can support you know our soldiers that's out there right. fighting war. But ultimately, I'm not going to do this forever. So. My passion, believe it or not, is real simple, man. I just want to uh, uh, continue to watch my kids grow up and eventually move overseas and retire okay. and, and live in a nice little small community with my wife. And me and her walk to the grocery store and enjoy nice, beautiful weather in, in Germany. You know how that is. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Okay. All right. So so you, you have nothing outlandish like me, you know. I just want to take over the whole world, you know what I'm saying? But, but nah, you, you have nothing outlandish. That, that's great, man. You know, just have a nice, peaceful life. Um, but why, why, why did you pick Germany? I don't know, man. I always felt like I have a connection with Germany. I was born in Germany. I spent most of my time in Germany. My yeah. wife's German, you know, um, 
and there's I just feel like that's where I belong. I know it sounds crazy. Uh, I don't often say that because uh, when I say that's where I belong, mm-hmm. it's not that you know I, I'm selling out being an American, but you know different people have different passions, man. And I just love Germany, Europe, you know, and yeah. I feel like that's where I want to retire. I, I hear that. I hear that. And there's nothing wrong with that, man. I I, I love Germany myself. Um, I think one of the main reasons why Germany is so appealing is because of all the the lesser of the evils as far as gun gun rights and things like that. Like your family could be at peace. You know, yeah, I, that's, I, that's, yeah. that's going to have to be a whole nother podcast. Right. talk about the cost of living differences economically, man. That yeah. plays a big part. But, I mean, just for the countryside, you mm-hmm. know, I feel like, you know, there's some more groups of me that I need to um, to reach out to over there. Right. Um, I got some more, you know, um, searching to do, some more soul searching and family searching to do over there. But yeah, economically, man, it's, it's definitely a winner. We don't yeah. have the, you know, they don't have the violence and, you know, the gun problems that we got here. The yeah. food is a lot cheaper there. There's, there's that level of greed here in America whereby if, if you're not rich, you know what I'm saying? You're not getting the same treatment, whether right. it's food or whether it's medical health care, anything like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's just different overseas. And, and unless you've traveled over there, you really can't, you know, relate to what I'm saying. Definitely, definitely. Okay, off off the cuff, I'm just going to go off the subject real quick. I was um, I was talking to, to uh, I was driving Uber and I had this passenger who was a, a, a white guy and we started talking about gun violence. But... My, my rebuttal about the gun violence was, I don't know if everybody's going to agree with me on this, but I, I think we need to revisit the Second Amendment as far as the right to bear arms. You know what I'm saying? I, I think that is what's damaging our communities, the country, and all of those things because a lot of people cannot fight these days, especially the younger generation. They're, they're not into fighting. They can't fight, most of them. Um, so they just resort to just shooting people. So now parents are walking around, they're scared of their children. Adults are scared to correct children that's out in the public, you know, because they're afraid of what may happen. You know, because I don't think everyone needs to have a gun. Of course, that's the community we grew up in. You know, I'm from Brooklyn, New Jersey. So, of course, guns is like an everyday thing for us. But what's going to happen to the next generation? What happened when we get grandchildren and all of them, you know, like this is something that we really need to take seriously right now. And it has a lot to do with race as well, because you got this, um, these people uh, building up armies, getting ready for a race war. We got the other side doing the same. You know what I'm saying? And I just don't think that everyone should be allowed to carry a weapon unless you need to, like you're a police officer, you're in the military, or you're guarding something. You know what I'm saying? What, what's your thoughts? Yeah, so that's, that's a very... It's a very touchy subject. It is. Because it, is. it can go, and the reason why I say that is gun gun violence can go in a whole bunch of different directions. Mm-hmm. So to make this real quick, man, direction number one is about money. So when you have somebody to come out and say, hey, this person is going to take all of our guns, mm-hmm. that is going to boost the gun sales for all the gun manufacturers. It's mm-hmm. going to make money. Mm-hmm. And then the gun manufacturers are going to produce more guns and sell more guns down to the gun shops. So if you went online right now today and went to any of the top five major gun selling markets, yeah, you will see that majority of your guns are all sold out, out of stock. Right. 
So that's number one when you talk about money and guns, man. So nobody is going to, the rich is not going to let you take the money away. And, mm. and guns is just like drugs, man. It's making tons and tons of money. So you're going to have an issue with that. Right. Number two is just the United States was built on guns and right, violence. Right. So it's thrown into the fabric of this place, man, and it is like out of control now. So it's that's done. Trying to correct it is done. You're not gonna be able to because Americans and, and I'm talking about, you know, mostly white Americans mm. feel more closer to their guns than they do their kids. That's a fact. So they're not gonna let you come in the house and take any of their guns. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And number three is you take guns away, then what's that gonna do to the drug trade? to the crime, the street, and the gangs, then they don't have no self-protection to protect their money when it comes to drugs. So that's another avenue of money. Hmm. So basically, it's just, you know, it's sad. So you can do whatever you want to the Second Amendment, but hmm. it's sad because I think it's too late now. You know, you reap what you sow. Right. So we're, we're in a position now where it's only going to get worse. Right. And, and, and that, that's, that's so crazy, man. I know, you know, the whole country was was built on violence, it was born on corruption and things like that. But it's just, you know, when you look into the future and you worry about the next generations are coming and like we had 2020 and I'm talking about just, I'm in Charlotte right now and, and you, we probably, I'm, I'm not sure the amount of people that was killed by just gun violence, the one that's on the news, you know, everything is not reported. But we, we're probably like 80 people or something this year. And this is during COVID-19 where we are supposed to be quarantined. You know what I'm so, saying? Yeah. yeah. And so you look at, you take, let me, let me give you two examples, man. One example is, is Chicago. So you, if you look at the amount of violence and deaths in the city of Chicago in the last, let's say, three years, it was more than Iraq and Afghanistan put together. Right. Did, you didn't see any escalation of, of gun control towards Chicago and toward the streets of Chicago no. at all. No. Right. And number two, you you know, when that shooting happened in Newtown, mm -hmm. where those kids got killed in that elementary school. Yeah. When you look back and you've seen the legislators go back and forth about gun control. Yeah. Just the fact that they would even go back and forth when you get a bunch of babies. And that's what I consider the babies getting slaughtered in the elementary school. And yeah. they still want to talk about gun control and, right. and not, you know, not taking guns and not banning assault rifles and all that. What does that tell you? Right. That it's all it's, all, it's about the money. Nothing, yeah, there's nothing worse that can happen now. So it tells you if that can happen and they don't have any gun control or any strong legislation against gun violence, mm -hmm. then there's nothing. Wow. There's nothing that's going to happen. So you live with it. So what do you do? You can't beat them, you go join them. So but, every year you get more and more people to apply for gun ownership. Mm, you but, know? But what if, um, okay, here's, here's a thought. Like, the situations they had in the 80s and 90s as far as dealing with crack or dealing with heroin, right? Um, it, it didn't become important or, or seem like a, a national issue until it went into the suburbia neighborhoods where it was populated mostly by white people. So yes. could it be the same thing about gun violence? Like once it gets to those areas, that's when publicly or nationally there's going to be an emergency like oh hey we need to tackle this situation we need to lessen the amount of guns that's out there in the street no. you know what i'm saying do you think that no. may come about no 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 because i look at guns like i look at prescription drugs hmm. people can people can profit white white america can profit from these guns yeah. like they can prescription drugs they can't do that with crack 
and heroin from back in Ames because it's illegal. It's too much complication with that. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But guns and guns and, and, and prescription drugs, definitely. So that's not going anywhere. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, I'm, we went off a little... T- well, now, nah, the topic actually intertwined with each other, you know, as far as everything we talk about intertwines. So sometimes I just go ask different questions just to get, you know, different opinions. But, man, I appreciate you joining me today. We had a great conversation. I know you got some things to do, so I'm not going to keep you. So if you have any social media that you want to give out to the public, you know, it's it's your time to do so. All right? Come on, man. You know I'm not rolling like you. I don't have anything. I still got got a regular landline in my house. Nah, I'm good, man, but I appreciate it. Nah, nah, thank you for being here, man. I appreciate you, bro. I'm going to see you in a couple of days, all right? No doubt, man. All, all right, right, man. All right, later. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining me today on Bridging the Gap with KG Salone. That was my guest, Mr. Tim Chillis, out there in Charlottesville, Virginia. Thank you for being here. See you next time. God bless you.